This is Buffalo, What's Next? I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Dave DeBoat. If ever there was an issue that demands more discussion now, the racist massacre at Tops Friendly Markets on May 14th is um, it. You know, America has a long, deep, rich history of racism brutalizing black communities. But where does it go from here? What does our community need? We must work and teach our children. What issues just aren't being addressed? As long as we keep doing the same thing, we're just sitting ducks for the next mass shoot. That's all you can say. This is a new program. Every weekday, we'll set aside this hour to hear from the community about issues that can no longer be held back. We need to make a concerted effort in our nation, in our institutions, and yes, in our families. This morning on Buffalo What's Next, one more trip back to Martin Luther King Jr. Park for Buffalo's Juneteenth celebration, where I had a chance to speak with Deb Ransom, the founding commander of the Janetta R. Cole Ambets Post Number 24 in Buffalo. She shared a number of insights and strong opinions on the May 14th massacre at the Jefferson Avenue Tops, the military service performed by herself and other black Buffalonians, and on what she observed at Juneteenth. Not about the people. What I, what I noticed what was different was actually the signage or the participants in the parade and how they were... Uh, really speaking more towards uh, uh, racism, uh, not being accepted, and honoring our, our ancestors that are African-American. But also including it in that is to get along and be peaceful with everyone. You know, everyone is not African-American, everyone is not Latino, but even in the parade you saw all those different types of people represented. And that was a wonderful thing. And this was a long, long parade, but it was significant, especially based on what happened, you know, on uh, May 15th. I mean, May 14th, I'm sorry. And people needed to get out. They needed to celebrate, even though they also made sure that they had recognition for the ones, the loved ones that were slaughtered. And, you know, in just a little over a month ago. So this was something that was therapeutically needed. And that's what was good about it. How about for you? Was it uh, therapeutic for you? Oh, yeah. You know, because I'm part of the community. As a matter of fact, I'm not just part of the community. I'm a veteran. I serve this country. And I happen to serve my community. And me being here, that's what's important. My support for my community and my country. Tell me about Juneteenth, what it means to you. Well, Juneteenth is actually the celebration of the acknowledgement of being free. Even though we've had all kinds of stuff. You can be free um, just being outside, but that doesn't mean you're free mentally or that you're free physically. And so even though we celebrate Juneteenth and that recognition that took more than two years to let us know about... It's just 
a time that we need to just acknowledge that this is what part of our history is. And so that's what's important about this. Um, on a lighter note, if I'm coming to where you near where you live, give a suggestion for a restaurant. You know, um, I would leave, like to see more restaurants open. Period. Especially, uh, this is restaurant Black Restaurant Week. It should be more than a week. It should be all the time, like every other restaurant. You see on TV that they're advertising all kinds of restaurants. You know, who has the best Italian restaurant? Who has the best fish? You know, what about saying, what's the best soul food restaurant? Or Jamaican restaurant? You know, everybody's not African-American. They could be Jamaican. They could be Hispanic. There's a whole bunch of stuff. You know so, what my follow-up question then is? What? What's the best Jamaican restaurant? What's the best soul food restaurant? Well, it's a variety. It depends on if you want, uh, like a person told me, says stop and cop. Uh, we want to be able to have a restaurant where you can sit down. I've gone to Brothers, which was excellent food over there, and it was also a sit-down place. When you have somebody coming into your community from out of town, you want to—you don't want to just take them to go get something and leave. We want to sit in your establishment and eat. And what I've noticed is that a lot of times we, as a community, don't do the supporting that we need to do and outside of the community really doesn't do any support so we need to lead the charge on these are our community restaurants we need to support them financially and otherwise and be able we can be better restaurants if we invest in it you can't have uh, you know uh, large places uh, to have a real nice place where a person can come from out of town if you don't support them from the beginning. So it, it's a, it goes around. So you have to be able to support one another, and everybody else seems to be able to do that. We need to do that more. Um, final question. Mm -hmm. what, uh, what should they do at the top sign, Jefferson? You know, I'm not sure... I can see both sides of it. Since I wasn't there and and dealing with now traumatic post-traumatic stress, because that's what's going to be happening, um, I think the better people to be asking that is the ones who survived that were there, because they know what they want to have happen. I wasn't there. I heard about it, you know, and I've experienced what's going on in the community after the event. So I wouldn't be the, the best person to ask for something like that. It would be the people who are more affected than most. Talk to any uh, people who survived that? Have you spoken to anybody? Um, well, I have uh, one of the veterans in my post. She had some people that she knew. And then when I kept looking at some of the pictures of the people, at first I didn't think I recognized anybody. Then later on I said, wait a minute. I saw that person before, and I saw the other person before, because I used to go in the tops. You know, so it's something to be able to, you know, really try to deal with a devastation that you never expected would happen. And that's, a lot of times, is what's happening. When you start looking at the news, and you hear the different things that are happening to the black community, 
usually it's us minding our own business, trying to live every day like everyone else in a church, in a store, and then someone comes along to devastate us. We didn't bother you. We didn't go out outside the community and do anything. We're doing what we do. And someone comes in to purposefully hurt us for no reason. So that's that's the hurtful part. I want to be able to walk down the street too. I want to be able to love my, my relatives too. I want to not have to go to a funeral too. Now, if they were to bring some of these criminals into this into the communities that they have devastated and feel how it is to be devastated, that's some good justice. Because now the people that you've devastated putting some devastation on you. So, but of course, that's not what happens. But that's something that many people are thinking about. That's what could happen. You know, so you just continue to move on until the next time that somebody wants to devastate us again. What's the name of your post again? The Janetta R. Cole Ambest Post Number 24. I'm the founding commander. We just had a new trailblazing street sign that was erected in her honor on the corner of Jefferson and Glenwood Avenue, where she returned. She was a Vietnam era Navy nurse, and on the trailblazing sign, it says Navy veteran Janetta Ramel Cole's way. We want to lead the charge in making sure that those of us who have served our country are recognized. And there are many that are here in the community that have served and served long periods of time. So, yes, why should we have to go through something like this when you're here because of us, because of the sacrifices that we have made? Now, we have to sacrifice some more for no reason at all. So... That's what's going on there. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Deb Ransom, founding commander of the Janetta R. Cole AMVETS Post Number 24, talking with us during Buffalo's Juneteenth celebration, where excellent music was heard all around. But our microphone happened to capture this song, which will close this segment of Buffalo What's Next. The Lord is high above the heavens. The Lord is high above the heaven And is high above the nations And just ahead on Buffalo What's Next, Dave Debo talks with the president and CEO of the Buffalo Urban League, Thomas Buford, Jr. Watch the WNED-PBS original production, Daredevils of Niagara Falls. I think part of the lure of Niagara was that it was understood to be a very dangerous place. A daredevil is somebody who goes out and does a daring thing. Maybe they make it and maybe they don't. Daredevils of Niagara Falls, now streaming on YouTube and the PBS video app. Sometimes we miss our morning alarm, then we miss our morning news, and the whole day is off. That's when you can listen to the WBFO Brief Podcast to catch up on the day's news and get back on track. Find it every weekday wherever you get your podcasts, and then like and subscribe so you never miss the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team. 
This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. Good morning. This is Dave Debo. On the program for the, the balance of the segment today, we're going to talk about several issues, but from the perspective of one individual guest, guest uh, family support, uh, workforce development, uh, housing and community development, even mental health counseling in light of not only COVID, but uh, the shooting. Obviously, there is one group that does a lot of those things all at once. It is the Urban League of Buffalo. We will be talking a little bit about some of their efforts, some of the problems, some of the uh, situations they see in the community, of course. That's the root of many of the things that we talk about here. Thomas Buford, Jr. is with us. He's their executive director. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Dave. Thanks for having me. I I think we can get to all those programs and all of the, uh, the different things that the Urban League does in just a minute or two. But to me, maybe the way to summarize it is, I noticed your lapel pin. And it's the Urban League symbol, which is basically equal. Equality, right? Right. So it's, uh, actually, there's, there's two things, if you look. It's the uh, qualified equal sign, because it's a little rounded on the edges, okay. uh, to equal to uh, kind of... Uh, Talk about equality or equity, more than yeah, equality, yeah. but equity. And then the circle around, which is inclusiveness, right? So those two things are embodied in that in that uh, uh, logo. And those are things, obviously, that, that you would say there aren't enough of. Absolutely. Equity and inclusion? Absolutely. Tell Much me more. more. So, you know, that is, uh, rolls right into the mission of uh, the Urban League, which is to, to serve these under, uh, underserved communities, to help them to reach power, parity, uh, equity, and also uh, social and, and civil rights justice. So uh, those are, you know, speak directly to our mission. Those issues obviously existed before the shooting. Did they change after the shooting? I won't say that they changed fundamentally after the shooting. Um, the shooting uh, highlighted them, uh, actually, that... Uh, incident of trauma um, highlighted um, a recurrence or a history um, or a continuance of trauma. So it just uh, highlighted some previously existing conditions that, you know, the Buffalo Urban League and many other organizations uh, have been working with to, to deal with the impact and also to change for the community. You and the League have been working on these issues for a long time, obviously. Why did it take perhaps a shooting to get the broader attention that it's now getting? Right. So when you mention a long time, the Buffalo Urban League has been here since 1927. Oh, so I would have guessed even the 60s civil rights. You're talking long before. Yeah. So we were f- right. founded here um, in 1927. And we're a part of uh, the National Urban League, one of about 90 affiliates. Uh, so we've been serving the community for, you know, almost a century now. Uh and the issues that we've de- dealt with, they have in some, in many cases, been fundamental and been been the same challenges. Mm-hmm. Although they've manifested themselves in different ra- ways over the years, and the leaders that uh, were at the helm of this organization before me um, faced those uh, 
those various challenges with the um, with the resources that were available to them at that time. And, um, you know, they nothing was stagnant about this organization. We have, um, even with this tenure, um, we don't consider ourselves the, the Urban League organization as we consider ourselves the Urban League movement. Okay. Right. So we adjust to what the requirements are at the time, where people need us at the time, and, uh, you know, we prioritize that way and, and appropriate resources accordingly. I'm not about to suggest that, that certainly during that span of history since 1927, that there haven't been problems, that you folks haven't tried to address the problems. Uh, the Urban League has been on the ground working all that time. And yet I wonder um, if the if the public awareness hasn't changed over that time. I would have thought after George Floyd was in everybody's living room, uh, on everybody's TV screen, that that would have been a visceral moment. And I guess it was, but you still see the same problems that perhaps were around in 1927. I would have guessed that the shooting perhaps was a visceral moment that kind of pulled people together, but we still see the problems that you folks have been addressing at the Urban League since 1927. Correct. Um, is that a frustration for you? I, I just, I look at events and think that that would have been a catalyst, but maybe not. I believe that it can be a catalyst for change just by bringing more attention to it. Uh, and, you know, over the years, we, we have different ways of being able to uh, kind of present those images and those occurrences to a broad mm. public. You know, George Floyd largely played out in everyone's uh, living room. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and them being home for COVID, that, that uh, changed things. Um, so it, it kind of showed some things in, in the light, but it did not mean that they weren't always happening. Right. So it was just, just a different way that people got an opportunity to uh, view it. And it was broad and very broad based. Uh, but the problems that um, the, the league has been uh, dealing with um, and other organizations as well and, and uh, our politicians, our political bodies, many of the problems that, that are dealing with, um, uh, again, um, these things, these incidents that happen, these traumatic incidents that, that have happened have just uh, been kind of a summation of uh, many underlying causes. So let's talk about, you know, what happened on uh, 514 in the sense that uh, someone came to, was able to come to a location and inflict this type of harm on a specific group of individuals. Um, and, and, you know, I will, I'll take all of the other um, uh, labels away from it. I won't mm. talk about the store or anybody sure. else, right? All right? Because the conditions that cause that, you know, we have conditions of redlining that plague the city where you have a certain group of people who um, were not able to purchase homes or live in certain communities. So you have a condensed group of blacks, African-Americans, black and brown people in a very, very condensed um, geography. So, you know, and then over the years, a lot, a lot, not a lot of investment in that community. Um, and then, you know, you do have this uh, one one store that was there. You know, and we'll talk about historically what's been there, but that is the case right now. Yeah. So if you were if, if you had a, if you were looking for a target and you wanted to say, hey, I want to I want a high probability of attacking a, a population of black people on a given day um, without 
without the probability of of hit of maybe impacting other communities or even white communities then then that area that location was ripe for that for all those reasons you're not going there's not a lot of integration right there's not that there's not a lot of investment so you you there was a high probability that if you went there if you if you aimed this you know if you didn't even have great aim and you were looking to target uh and you just shot randomly the likelihood that you would only hit <laughs> black and brown people is because of all of these um, conditions that existed and things that happened and things that didn't happen to this community that made that such, um, you know, uh, a rich target. Let's talk about one of the uh, issues in that community that I know is dear to the Urban League's uh, mission, homeownership. In the city of Buffalo, 50 percent of whites own their homes and 49% uh, rent, so that's about 50-50. Mm. But in the black community in the city of Buffalo, 31% owned and 68% rent. Right. That's a massive disparity. Huge disparities, but again, you have to look at underlying conditions. Because if you think about gener- generational wealth, and you think about the first generations of individuals who came here and got the industrial jobs that existed here uh, when that was a large part of our economy, and based on the places that they were able to purchase, that generation was able to purchase homes, the um, the values of those homes in different areas, we're going back to things issues like redlining, the values of the homes that uh, whites were able to buy, um, the property values um, increased tremendously. The, the values of the homes in the areas that blacks were able to buy were depressed, right? So now, you know, when, you're, when your child, when your children are now looking to um, purchase their home, then you don't have the equity to invest. You know, if you had a business that existed in these areas um, without, the, without the same type of investment, um, then you don't have that equity to support it. Um, and then if you don't have the value in your homes, um, if your business, which, you know, all businesses have ebbs and flows, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, if you have a, your property value, you have equity there, that'll help you sustain your, sustain those businesses. And not to mention, those individuals who were able to, you know, educate their children and, you know, do what every other um, uh, American or every other citizen around the world wants is to have their child to have a better life or their children to have a better life than they did, then uh, if they were able to do that, many of them didn't, many of those children didn't find opportunities here locally and had to leave, right, where you might find three or four generations still here in Buffalo. Um, so, you know, all those disparities at the end of the day speak to, um, okay, now you all, everyone has to meet, um, and this is where we talk about equality versus equity. Okay. Because equality means, okay, um, black, blacks or whites can walk into the bank, and the conditions that are set apart to um, qualify for these loans are the same. They're equal. Yeah. But based on all of the, all, all of the con- pre-existing conditions, then your opportunity to avail that, that, equal, that equal opportunity is not the same, right? So I that, will, that's, that's, that's what happens here. I, as a banker, will judge your loan application based on income. Right. That's, that's equal. That's equal. Because I'm judging your income and her income and his income all by the same benchmark. Right. That's equal. But the community uh, wages, the community wealth is completely different. Absolutely. And, you know, some, you know, we will look at things by default and by design. So there, there are conditions that exist that don't give you that 
that same opportunity, right? And that's that's uh, perpetuated. And those are the things that, um, you know, have been uh, addressed um, as a, on along a continuum by the Urban League. And we continue to fight for. Not only do we have programming, you know, as an organization, but we also know that uh, we also have our national headquarters is in New York City, but we also have an office on the Hill because we know how important it is to um, impact policy. We know how important it is to um, impact legislation. So we're there advocating for all of these, all of this change that we're looking to have in that space as well. How do you impact those home ownership numbers? And by you, I don't necessarily mean the, the league, because I know you do have some programs to address that. Uh, but but what what is the root cause that can be tackled or can be addressed? Well, some of it is uh, we, we look at it through programs that are designed now by certain institutions that are there to kind of look at these inequities and put uh, some um, some changes, if you will, in place to give uh, opportunities to make the down payments to um, they have qualifications that will allow um, people with a different income base, um, people that don't have the same um, maturity in terms of uh, knowledge of credit. Uh, so all of these programs to actually um, move people into this space where they where they do qualify. Right. So um, so these things are um, specifically targeted, understanding all of the preexisting challenges to try to right some of those wrongs, if you will. So the role that w- role that we play is we um, bring those communities, t- we bring those programs to our community, um, and um, you know there's a certain distrust in in institutions, mm-hmm. right? Uh, for many reasons, right? I'm talking uh, financial institutions, educational institutions, medical institutions, mm-hmm. uh, certainly political institutions. There's a certain distrust, and there's plenty of reason for that. Uh, but what the Urban League has done through all the program that we've offered, right, and, 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 it, and it, it varies from a scale of very, very basic things when people need to not only home ownership, but they're looking for an apartment or an improved apartment, all the way up through uh, technical training for entrepreneurial skills. I mean, entrepreneurial ventures or small yeah, businesses. Yeah. So, you know, all across that whole um, hierarchy of needs. But um, through that, um, we've met people where they stand um, without judgment. And we do and we offer them uh, resources in a very culturally competent way. That said... You have you have training classes to teach right. people we do. some of the home ownership process. Right. So we have that, but I want to say that it's not so. It's not only what we do and and, and the programs we have, but the way we deliver it, um, and and the way people receive it is over the years we have um, established a very trusted voice in the community. Sure. Right. So that helps also to kind of. Uh, make that bridge between, okay, so these programs exist, they're created, um, but, uh, you know, people either don't know about it or we need to train them, and we need to to integrate them or move them into those processes with a, um, using that trusted voice to say, you know, when they have questions or they don't understand the way something is, uh, is, is being presented or so that they don't, uh, uh, deselect 
by themselves and say, this is not for yeah. me, right? So we help move them across those continuums, and we, we work with them on um, what they have. I want to jump back, though, to um, something you said earlier, the difference, obviously, between equality and equity. Right. You can train people. You can give them classes that allows them to come closer to meeting that equal standard. Right. The equity side of it is a completely different issue. Yeah, equity. How do you how, how do you deal with that? So we deal with that with um, first knowing that there is not equity in many of these spaces, and then we're working with other organizations that we're partnering with organizations that have said, "Hey, we we recognize where things are, and we want to make those changes, but we know that uh, we have to make that connection between these." Uh, uh, individuals uh, who have felt disenfranchised, right, to put that together. And, you know, just as a framing of uh, equality versus equity, you know, there was lots of, you talked about earlier, the civil rights movement. So in the civil rights movement, we talked about uh, being able to sit at, at the at the front of the bus or wherever you wanted to sit on the bus. Mm. And so we, you know, we were able to move that forward. So that's equality, where you can get on the bus and sit anywhere you want. Equity is having a bus line that actually comes through your neighborhood, Right. That that goes that arrives there at times and drops yeah. off at times that gets you to a job that pays uh, living wages. Right. So there's a difference. Right. So, yeah, you can get on any bus you want. But if it doesn't come to your neighborhood and serve you, um, then that's not equity. Right. So there's um, there's that other these other elements that you need to add on to it to really make a difference. And uh, let's look at poverty rates. Let's look at uh, medium household income. City of Buffalo, overall poverty rate is 30 percent. Median household income in the city of Buffalo, 37. For black people in the city of Buffalo, that median income is 28,000. And that poverty rate bumps up five points to 35.4. The situation on the ground is severely different for people of color. All right. I, I I think that's a given. I think people kind of knew that, but the numbers to me really point to it and spotlight it. Talk about the difference in medium in median income. What can be done? What is being done there? Because housing is one issue, and and if the banks are looking at how much you earn, then the amount you earn becomes part of that overall housing problem. Right. Well, I think, you know, organizations, institutions have to look at, you know, some of these things, uh, some of these conditions are um, maybe by default and some are by design. And, you know, they have to, we all have to take um, a a very um, hard look at where we are and there has to be some deliberate and intentional uh, change programming, uh, uh, qualifications that differ. You know, we don't want any business to be at risk. But um, there also has to be an understanding of the lack of generational wealth, the lack of um, the, the investment in, in in education and, you know, the, 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 the public school programming. You know, all these things have to give a lift. But we need to consider the impact that it has had over how those things have deteriorated in other in, in, in the black community at a rate um, that it has not in other communities, right, with a total, t- totally different trajectory where, you know, you're building equity and adding on. And on another side, with the lack of investment uh, and a lack of generational wealth because of, you know, some of the conditions we discussed earlier, um, that it's a different 
trajectory. I, I also picture a scenario where some groups are, by their very nature, groups that you can put pressure on. Politicians. Mm -hmm. uh, you talk about transportation, the NFTA. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit different getting a city council member to represent Jefferson Avenue than it is to get a bank to end up changing its rules or a supermarket to say, yeah, I'm going to come to a neighborhood. How do you lobby or push or, or generate some sort of change on the business side? Because, again, public policy is just that. Public policy, I think you can obviously do certain things to make some inroads there. How do you make inroads in the other structures that aren't necessarily, um, well, they have a different agenda. Businesses are, are profit-based. Right. So I, I will tell you that um, uh, I joined, uh, I was appointed as the head of the Buffalo Urban League in uh, September of nineteen of 2020, I'm sorry. Yeah. But prior to that, I spent over 30 years in, as a banker, right? Around I knew that. That was part of why I asked the question. Yeah, so here and around the globe. So I do know that, you know, businesses are, are certainly there to, uh, uh, you know, to make a profit. Um, they also, you know, are looking to, um, they have to consider risk. Um, but there are also other businesses that are also as equally concerned about the, the community and the social uh, impact that, they have social and environmental impact they have on the community. You're going to need some risk takers, right? You're going to need some people that said, going to, we realize all the conditions, we're going to step out here. Um, and, and mind you, um, businesses will, you know, business will generally come if there is, uh, if there is uh, a, a little additional investment required. Um, one of the reasons that there probably aren't uh, a larger amount of, of um, businesses that say we're going to large business that's going to set up there because they don't know if the if the uh, neighborhood, if you will, will um, will be able to support mm. the business. But in other places, that's not the case because it's not just the residents um, and a, you know and, and just the local economy. It's the transit economy, right? The people who are passing through to go to some other places. And because of the, the lack of investment and this redlining and this this whole um, creating this 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 group of people in this one you know blacks in this place um, when, when with no other traffic going through, then a, you know a business might be reluctant. So there yeah. there has to be some risk takers that say I'm gonna I'm gonna pioneer I'm gonna be there because I I know this can come and it's happened other places yeah. right. So there has to be some some de deliberate and intentional. Investment there. A, a, and I'm not picking on this particular company, but they're they're an example. A Wegmans on Transit Road is going to get a heck of a lot of cars driving by it. Right. A Tops on Jefferson Avenue, not necessarily right. so. Right. Well, if you know those 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 traffic patterns, because people are passing those those other um, stores in other places because they're, they're they're going to other entities that are, are mm. also in the neighborhood, right? So you have to get some critical mass there, but it has to start somewhere. And, you know, again, compounded over the year as you create that density in these other areas, you have a trajectory going one way and you make it ri very um, a, a rich proposition to, to um, open another business there because you get all of the, um, you know, you get all of the energy that comes from those other businesses. But at the same time, um, the the reverse of that is if you if you have uh, just a lot of empty lots um, because of lack of investment, because of, you know, this historical 
um, you know, the evaluation of of property, um, then it's not that people there are not working hard. It's not that people there don't take as good care of their property. Um, but if you don't have that that type of sustained um, investment, then you know you're left with that kind of lack. So yeah, you know it's it's now we're at a place where you know there's 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 sparse, there's um, empty lots, there's not a lot of brick and mortar there. Um, the uh, the current inventory, the stock of housing that's there. Um, if you don't have the um, programs or you don't have the the revenue to keep it up you know we have a very old housing stock right so um which you know can lead to health problems right um which can lead to a, a more depletion of income because you don't have good weather weatherization in these homes so you know it's, it's this kind of uh again a, you know compounding issues long-term issues that have been here and you know you know the city as a whole was challenged, right? So we, we're in this resurgence. But um, when you talk about how do we work out of it, um, conventional wisdom say if you build your downtown and you build your waterfront, then, you know, you're going to uh, bring, you're going to um, uh, raise the economy. Yeah. Right, there's investment, right? Um, and then I guess by, by virtue of the whole rising tide, that if the city, as the city goes, so does the, um, you know, the other n- neighborhoods and the, east side of Buffalo, the east Buffalo or west Buffalo. Because theoretically, Canal Side does result in an increase in the tax base. Correct. But it sounds like, and I I don't want to be putting words in your mouth, it sounds like your argument would be the trickle-down doesn't trickle down. Absolutely, the trickle-down, right? And and, and, and certainly they will will be trickle-down, but considering all of the pre-existing conditions, trickle-down is not going to change, or, or when it does, when that impact does reach the area one it won't reach it in a substantive way um and two the time time frame that it'll take and you know quite frankly if you talk about this rising tide if if one place is starting off with a yacht and another one's starting off with a with a you know kind of rickety boat here when that tide comes in and goes back out you know one's going to have a yacht a little bit more improved and one's going to have a rickety boat maybe with not leaks but you know you still have this disparity that was there that existed, and um, there has to be deliberate actions. Um, there has to be one uh, a change in the prioritization, right? Because we prioritize things, um, and then we know that there's funding here, and that funding, right? We we know that there's not unlimited funding, right? There's um, that's finite, also, but in terms of appropriation. So, one, when, where do you put uh, this investment in terms of prioritization, um, and then two. Once you say, well, we want to prioritize it, we want to make it number, we want to make this, move this up the list, yeah. then maybe projects that uh, we, we were looking to appropriate funds to that you, um, that you change. And, you know, some of that might go outside of the existing um, conventional knowledge, the, the, the structures and all of these other things. But if you want to make a transformational and a sustainable change, then, you you know, there has to be some deliberate action. So to use your analogy, right now you're just – I don't want to limit the scope of your work. I don't want to under-describe it. But right now you're just fixing boats. Right. So well, that's it. Well, we're doing that. 
Right. We're doing both. Right. So. Okay. um, And we're doing both. We're looking at the issues that uh, like we need people need to be sustained in the space that they're in right now. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, when I say we meet people where they stand. That doesn't mean we want them to stay there, right? So we're also introducing them to other opportunities. We're working not only with the community, um, but we're working with uh, other organizations who want to be in this space, who want to make a change to help. But uh, just just the fact that these two things exist, um, as you know, you keep hearing about uh, uh, people who need jobs. And and then you hear about... um, corporations and companies who say we can't fill jobs. So yeah. just it would seem like it's just a natural match that those two things would solve for each other, but they don't because of because of the pre, some pre-existing conditions, because of some pre-existing, you know, people's thoughts about where they might be welcome and where they might be successful. So that's the space that we're working in largely and and that is um to make sure we can help uh, be a bridge between um, these types of entities, between our community and, and opportunities. And also, if the if there are some barriers to entry or success with these with these with these organizations, that we coach them and we give them advice based on our tenure and our um, the trusted voice that we have. And like again. You know, we're an organization. We don't speak for people, but we will amplify and speak up for them. So we, we will, we're moving both sides, moving those the community towards these opportunities and then making sure that these opportunities are not restrictive in any way. Thomas Buford is with us. Thomas Buford, Jr. is the executive director of the Urban League of Buffalo. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of their other programs. I also want to touch on the idea of community, sure. whether Jefferson could end up being the next Elmwood or Hurdle. Much more of the discussion straight ahead. This is Buffalo's What's Next on WBFO. It's one thing to love public media, but it's a special thing to support it. Consider this. If you've got a car you don't need anymore, or you've got one that's simply too expensive to repair, arrange to donate it to Buffalo Toronto Public Media. It's easy for you. Pickup is free, and it could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. Here's how to get started. Go to WNED.org slash vehicles. Watch, listen, engage, play, and learn with Buffalo Toronto Public Media Stations and our weekly newsletter, The List. Sign up to receive the email at WNED.org and find out the best shows to watch, the great music to listen to, the important news you can't miss, and the many ways you can engage with our public media family. Sign up now at WNED.org. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. There are several ways for you to join the conversation. Send us a message now on Twitter at WBFO. Email us at news at WBFO.org or just press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app and leave a comment we can use on the air. We're here for you. This is Buffalo What's Next. And this is Dave Debo continuing our discussion with Thomas Buford, Jr. He's the executive director of the Urban League of Buffalo. We've been talking so far a lot about economic development. And I think in the wake of the shootings, uh, we've been hearing from so many people about the strength of that community, the way they pull together, the way it is indeed a community around Jefferson Avenue. And when I look at 
other thriving business districts. East Aurora, Elmwood, Hurdle, everyone points to the idea that there is this strong sense of community there, that there's this sense of pride, uh, or even just a sense of place, that they have sort of carved out an identity and made Hurdle Avenue, Elmwood Avenue, what it is as a commercial strip. If the sense of community is so strong, why can we not see the Jefferson District, just like the Elmwood District? Right. So, again, uh, the the Jefferson District that you see today was the Elmwood District. Okay. It was uh, some of these other communities, these other commercial strips that you see hurdle. It was that um, as I, you know, as I was uh, walking uh, boots on the ground or, or just after the 514 incident with all the traffic, with all of the people walking on the sidewalk saying, mm. excuse me, can I pass by? You know, just all of that energy that was there as emotional as, as that was and how and as tragic as that was, there were people saying, wow, you know what? This, this was, is kind of cool. <laughs> this not not, not kind of cool, but. This is re- this is reminiscent of the Jefferson Avenue that we knew in mm-hmm. in years gone, right? So this is years uh, gone past. This is like this this seeing that many people on Jefferson, not for these reasons, you know. Right. No, I, I hear certainly you. not for these reasons. But seeing that many people and that type of activity on Jefferson was not strange to anyone, and it is you know, and all of these things uh, that you mentioned in terms of you know why one would look so thriving. And why one community would look like it was so thriving, and you know, is it is it based on you know how how well that community comes together, or how much that community cares for for you know what their what their community looks like, and and uh, all the services and program that's available there. I would say that there's no no considerable difference. I would say that you know the people in the, in the Jefferson community, despite all the challenges, you know, the fact that they've maintained and still have pride in their own homes and things of that nature and, you know, trying to still build businesses. In, in spite of. In spite of gotcha. those conditions. So the other thing, and I, I know prior to me coming on the program, I heard earlier that uh, we had uh, Miss Ransom. Yeah, Deb Ransom. Right, from the Janetta R. Cole Post. And, you know, there's a saying, you know, and, and I know Miss Ransom, we've done some work together. Um, through um, through my Boy Scout troop, but um, there's an old saying that um, old soldiers never die; yeah. they just fade away. Well, the Jefferson business community that we are talking about, it didn't fade away; it died, mm. right? And it died because of lack of investment. It died because uh, loans were not available to that community. It died because the children of the families who owned those businesses did not find opportunity to stay here in Buffalo, so they left. So, you, you know, that generational wealth, the depressed home values did not allow for reinvestment or, you know, scaling up the business, you know, lack of, you know, other technical uh, programming that was available. All these things, you know, were, you know, at the time were very deliberate. Right, so so, so here you, we are. You could argue it didn't die. Are you saying it was murdered? It, it, I, I would go that far. I would go that far. So I wouldn't. I would say certainly it didn't just fade away. It wasn't because people didn't care. Does what? It's not because this this community didn't have as much pride 
and uh, didn't want to invest uh, the same way in their community and didn't have the same hopes and dreams and aspirations for their community. Uh, but without the uh, support systems that existed in other um, localities that you mentioned, without those support systems and without the deliberate resources that were provided to those communities, um, these are, this is the result. So you, do, you look at the snapshot today, you know, as opposed to um, a documentary that went over the years mm. to show, you know, what what has what has happened. So, yes, um, I, I, w- I would say the the Jefferson and other uh, corridors in on the east uh, on, on Buffalo's east side of East Buffalo, um, they were very prominent. They were very prominent, and uh, there were thriving businesses there. Um, and over time, without the resources, this is uh, this is the result. You talk about deliberate investment. What do you feel about Governor Kathy Hochul's? I think it's what fifty-eight million mm-hmm. that she wants to pour into the East Side. I, I, I think the fifty-eight million is a it's um, it's a step in the right direction, right? It is. Um, when you think about 58 million working against, you know, 50, 60 years of disinvestment, um, it's a start, right? We have to we have to start somewhere, and um, you know, I, I'm glad that it's uh, an investment, not a spin down, but hopefully it'll be looked at like this is what we're going to use to start uh, generating more ideas and more action and create and bringing um, more interest to also supporting this area right because 50 million is 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 great it doesn't it doesn't fundamentally and, sus- and sustainably change things for the community um but that's interesting to hear you say 58 million does not a sustainable change make talk more about that right i mean you, you know talking about long term um long term uh again disinvestment long term um long-term challenges for this community. But 58 million is a huge number. You, you see the point? I, I think there are those out there would say, that's just a drop in the bucket? That surprises me. Right. And you think about uh, 58 million, um, you talk about the Bill Stadium, you talk about the um, potential project for the, the 33, you talk, if you talk about um, some projects, yeah. right, some single projects, um, even if you talk about something like Tesla, if you talk about the investments that are made there, and and those are all investments that you know we're looking to yield um, um, long-term uh, outcomes for the sure. for the, for the Buffalo and the whole yeah. community, long-term change. But when you think about how that uh, fifty-eight million or or similar amount or even greater amounts were allocated for a particular project. Um, in, in comparison to if you want to change the dynamics, if you want to make transformational change in a community. Now, what, you know, I've, I've had an opportunity to um, meet with um, the Governor Hoku and uh, other elected officials as well. And, you know, and at no way, at no time did I ever hear anyone say that this is the the only, the, you know, 58 million. But it starts somewhere, right? Okay. So, and someone has to say, you know, and I, you know that fifty-eight million didn't it didn't come out of the out of the sky, right? Um, I, I talked about prior. You know, the way forward is 
prioritization, uh, reprioritization probably, and reallocation, right? So I'm saying that that was a huge step in the right direction because someone said this has to happen now, and it was done. Something said instead of doing that here, we need to do it here. So I think that's a, a huge step in the right direction. At this point in the process, what do we know about how it will work? Uh, the governor announced $58 million, People celebrated. How does that get down into the community? What kind of things either are already happening or at least you're, you're aware of on, on the drawing board? So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm privy to all of the how it moves forward. Um, I know that that step in and of itself was very intentional. I know that uh, there were some specific uh, programs that we know are looking to be sustainable that were supported as part of these funds. There were invest. There was additional additional investment in uh, resources that are already proving um, outcomes, and um, and it's like you know those those additional investments should yield um, give those uh, those particular programs a great an opportunity to to yield uh, great outcomes. So none I, of it. None of it's happened yet, though. That you're aware of. Uh, you know the, the the it's pretty fairly recent. The yeah, um, yeah. And I don't mean that as a criticism. Work. I'm just trying to figure out where it is in the process. Right. I, I think it's fairly recent, and I, you know, I, I know that she has a, a team. I'll say the governor, and then there's other entities too that are that are are looking at this. So I'm, you know, I, I, I won't be able to comment as to where it is in the process, other than you know, one of the things that we had to have initially was intent, right? Sure. And um, and 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 being deliberate. And I think those things are, you know, that was um, clearly. What happened? What happened there? All right. In the time we have left here, uh, I, I did want to talk a little bit too about the Buffalo Together Fund. Uh, you're on the board. You're working to try and uh, disperse the monies that have been donated from across the entire community. Take me through the process. How's that working? And and what's still to come? Right. So let me just say there's this. This there's some um, for clarification. There are two funds that were set up. One is the five fourteen fund which is really directed towards uh, individuals, okay. families that were impacted by the 514 uh, murders and tragedy. So there is a process for that, and um, that uh, there is a... Um, there are two co-chairs that are leading that process and also being guided and supplemented by an organization that has experience in and um, tragedies, right? Okay. We won't say this particular type of tragedy because um, it's this was very, very different, right? This is very this is not a natural disaster. This is, you know, not a random. This is although a shooting's not a random. This is very yeah. targeted. Has a face. Has all of that. So, but there's a there's funds that are um, are allocated for these families, and there will be a process to determine, you know who gets what and how that gets. But, you know, that will be that will be a spin down like that will happen. They, that, those determinations will be made and those funds will um, those funds will um, be allocated, dispersed. fully allocated, right. fully okay. dispersed. The second is this Buffalo Together Fund, um, which uh, had uh, two goals. First, it was let's um, try to immediately bring resources to some of the organizations who are already serving the community. Um, so that happened. Um, um, maybe about 75 black-led organizations who were serving the community received funds, unrestricted funds, to help in their operations. 
especially those that needed to address um, who responded immediately to uh, to five fourteen. So that happened. The um, both of these, the five fourteen and the uh, and the Buffalo together um, have uh, co-chairs. So there's two co-chairs on the... And you're one of them, aren't you? Well, on one of on the, the groups? On the 514, there are two co-chairs. Uh, it's uh, being co-chaired by uh, Reverend uh, Mark Blue, uh, who leads the NAACP, yeah. and Paul Vukalek, you know, a, a prominent business owner and is just a great community citizen as well. Uh, so those two individuals, and I do serve on the steering committee for that right. with many other, other individuals. Uh and then the five, the Buffalo Together Fund, the initial uh, disbursements to the various organizations, that has already happened. And now, after that has happened, they've also put together a uh, co-chair team, which consists of Dr. LeVon Ansari, who's the head of the Community Health Center of Buffalo, president and CEO, and then I'm the other co-chair uh, for that. And our way forward is going to uh, be... Um, to look at how can we solve, if you will, for some of these um, inequities that have happened over time, what's a transformational and um, sustainable way forward? And uh, it should be um, how we solve for that will be uh, we will also convene a steering committee, and but we will also take input from a large input from the community on that way forward. One of the criticisms that I've heard on this program from a prior guest, Miles Carter, you probably know who he is, yes. said that uh, to some degree the pooling of resources in this way uh, doesn't necessarily take into account donor intent because I might want the money to go to storefront rehabilitation and this person over here might want this money to go to uh, uh, people, actual people who need investment. Mm-hmm. The fund decides that without a a recognition of donor intent. Right. No, the, I think initially the donors had they had to, they decided whether they wanted it to go to individuals, um, you know, largely impacted individuals, and then there was a second fund that was really um, to go to individuals initially. The Together Fund go to individuals initially by virtue of going through the community, the organizations that are already serving those communities and those individuals, but those individ- but those donors were well aware that they were going, these funds were going to go towards uh, building a sustainable way forward. So the model is almost like the United Way. Everybody pooling the resources together, and then a needs assessment determines where the money goes. Correct. And that needs assessment, uh, where, where I will say, um, when we talk about being deliberate and intentional, that needs assessment is going to be done by, you know, led um, by, from a committee standpoint, by myself and Dr. Ansari, with a steering committee that was comprised of community members and that we're still in the very early days of formulating that. But there will be input. It will be, um, you know, and and it will be um, based on the community's input you know what the, they'll they'll be part um actively um participating in how things are prioritized and how things are appropriated all right we will check back with you as that develops so sure. glad that you came in today 
Thanks for doing this. Okay, thank you for hearing us. Thomas Buford is the president and CEO of the Urban League of Buffalo. Earlier I called you executive director. We'll correct that right now. President and CEO, and uh, we're glad that he's with us. This is Buffalo What's Next. For the next couple of weeks, the team here is taking a little bit of time to reflect and recharge. We would love to hear from you in the meantime. You can hit the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we will be back with more brand-new programs in August. In the meantime, next week and uh, later in this week, we'll bring you some encore episodes of recent programs. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown. Thanks for listening.